The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Support for this show comes from Inner Engineering, a program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yogic sciences. Visit www.innerengineering.com to learn more. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Mastin Kip. Mastin started out as a music manager, left the music industry in 2005 to found thedailylove.com, an inspirational website, Became a darling of Oprah, was named one of the 100 most spiritually influenced living people. That's important that he's a living person. By Body, Mind, Spirit magazine. He considers himself, he now operates as a life interventionist. We're going to find out what that means. And he's the author of a really interesting book called Daily Love, Growing into Grace. A print interview with Mastin can be found on the Spirituality and Health website, spiritualityhealth.com. Mastin Kip, welcome to Essential Conversations. Hi, Rabbi Rami. It's very great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. So I want to jump into the book in a minute, but I we, let's start with life interventionist. Tell us what that is. Sure. Um, if I could be extremely brief. Um, That's because, always a good uh, idea. Yes. I know we have a short period of time here. A lot, what I do um, you know, I've been very much inspired by the work of people like Tony Robbins um, and that whole line of the NLP line all the way back to Milton Erickson. And what's true is that you can change your life in a moment, in a decision. And an intervention is basically a 45-minute to hour-and-a-half-long conversation where I basically get down to the root, root, root cause of why somebody is stuck or why somebody is in addiction or why somebody um, is going through a transition. Um, And it's usually uh, has some type of root in previous trauma. And what happens is that when we have trauma or pain in our past, we tend to recreate it until we heal it in our lives. And so basically um, through our uh, our process, what we do is we basically just get to the root of it quickly, uh, usually with humor, usually in a way that tends to be a little irreverent. And sometimes we use some direct language, but um, it tends, tends to be effective. And then from that place, they can become aware of the mechanism that's holding them back and we can set them up with a sustainable process moving forward and support so that um, if and when they slip back into old ways, you know, it's, it's, you know, they bounce back in a matter of minutes, hours or days instead of months or years or decades. So this is coming from neuro-linguistic programming? Um, yeah. So a lot of my influences from uh, Ericksonian hypnosis, NLP, the work of Tony Robbins, neuroassociative conditioning, um, and then my own uh, sort, of, sort of distinctions that I've made around um, sort of, I guess you could say that we, we call it the anatomy of transformation. There are these five layers um, that have to be addressed for anyone to move forward from most superficial down to sort of the deepest sub-subconscious layer. And so- basically our work is, is helping people navigate that process. So there's a lot to unpack there. And 
we're not going to really have time to do it justice, but yes. if people want to go into this more <laughs> carefully, they go to your website, mastonkip.com. Yes, mastonkip.com. That's right. Okay, great. So if you're interested in, and, and you, they can hire you as a coach. Uh, yes, we have online courses. I do seminars and retreats and, um, and I'm doing this work a lot. So I love it. So yes, yes. That's now, exactly how does it connect to uh, the book? Uh, Growing Into Grace? Well, Growing Into Grace, I wrote very intentionally as sort of an origin story for me because when I look, I want to do this work for the rest of my life. And when I looked at the teachers who were inspiring me, while their practices, maybe it's Eckhart's meditation practice, or, you know, there's a Deepak meditation practice, or there's a Wayne Dyer intention setting, or Louise Hay affirmation, or a Tony Robbins, you know, incantation, all these things are very useful tools. But what was very inspiring for me was their origin stories around how they got started. So instead of starting with a how-to book, I thought I would just sort of introduce myself and really be honest and real about what I was going through to get started in this work. And in writing that book, I really hadn't had the clarity yet um, to do what I do now. So um, that book was really just a, a beginning and the, 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 you know, the rest of the content that I'll be putting out there will be a lot more sort of, you know, sort of how-to or, or process-oriented piece. And, and I really see that as an introduction um, because I'm thinking in my, terms of my career, you know, for a lifespan. And so that mm-hmm. first book is like, hey, guys, this is how I did it. Um, because, you know, what happens is once someone becomes successful, um, it's harder to relate to something being possible for you because it's easy for them. They're successful. But if you can hear their story of struggle in a really true way, then you can really start to believe, hey, if, if that guy can couch surf for two years and go through it, well, I know that I can probably make it happen too. Um, and that, so yeah. that is what, what the book is. And this is very autobiographical. Yes. Uh, but, or maybe I should say, and it also is quite philosophical. And I, I want to go into some of the things that you say in the book. But, um, when the people you you cited, so Eckhart Tolle and uh, Deepak Chopra, and you know the the others, Wayne Dyer, so they're they're not associated with any specific religious tradition. Did you grow up in a religious uh, family at all, or and, and um, left it, or I would say is- ish ish. Um, both my parents are biologists and scientists, but my father wanted me to have some type of rooted philosophy. So I grew up as a Presbyterian Christian and I went to an evangelical Christian school for one, uh, one year and being raised a, uh, a scientist, I had some different beliefs than many of my classmates. And, um, I can say that at this point, uh, I've moved from being a recovering Christian, <laughs> uh, to what I call sort of a Christian mystic, uh, which is a, a little bit of a different philosophy. And when a lot of my Christian friends look at me and they go, what's that? You know, um, it's, it, it's definitely a conversation starter. <laughs> well, okay. Let's, let's quickly have that conversation. So how, how do you understand that? What do you, well, what do you mean when you say Christian mystic? I, you know, I love what you say around religions being languages, right? Um, Joseph Campbell talks about, um, every religion is true, but none are literal. And I believe there are many teachers of truth and love and love is the bottom line. And the teachings of Jesus to me are profound. The Beatitudes alone, you could spend a lifetime trying to, trying to incorporate that, the golden rule. I mean, these things are really sort of, you know, basics um, and fundamentals. And, you know, and I honor every tradition. I learn from Guru Nanak in the Sikh tradition. You know, I learn from obviously, you know, uh, the Torah and the, uh, the Judaic tradition. Uh, learn, I learn from all the different religions and philosophies and kind of think that we're all kind of saying the same thing. And, and what happens is we get lost in semantics. Um, my, but the reason why I call myself a Christian mystic is it's kind of like my preference 
you know, you might say my preference is to speak English and my preference is to, I really resonate with the teachings, the stories and the ways of Christ. And I also incorporate everyone else as a, as a messenger and equally, um, uh, uh, important source of truth. So it's not like, you know, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, the only way the father is, but through me, my interpretation of that is the love that I'm representing, how I am being is, uh, the most important way, not the physical manifestation of the man. And I think that that one distinction has caused a lot of, uh, turmoil over the years between the different religions where we should be loving each other instead of killing each other. So, so you and I really have a very similar philosophy and the way yes. Obviously, you did your homework, you looked me up. So, yes. yeah, I, I look at religion as language. And what you say, you know, you resonate with uh, Christianity. I, I call that my, you know, my mother tongue is Judaism. So that's that's the one I'm the most comfortable with. But Absolutely. yeah, I, I, you draw from all of them. And I, I very much appreciate your take on uh, Jesus being, you know, the way, the, the truth and, the, and the, I got it backwards, didn't I? But yeah, the way, the truth and the life, because we're not talking about, He's not referring to himself as a personality, as an ego. He's talking about That's another right. le level of consciousness. That's right. So, so here's the question based on you know, this really nice introduction that you gave us here. The, the book itself, so let me just remind listeners, the book is called Daily Love Growing Into Grace. And I'm not going to deal, if it's okay with you, unless you want to bring it up, I'm not going to deal with your life story as much as the philosophical aspects sure. of this, which I found really no fun. So you start out with this quote from Andre Gide, and, and I'm going to read the thing, and says, everything that needs to be said has already been said. But since no one was listening, everything must be said again. That's right. So I, <laughs> I hadn't seen that quote before. I love that quote. And my question is, what makes you think, if you do, what makes you think that they're listening this time? Uh, well, um, I don't think they necessarily are. Um, I think that my intention is to put out high quality content um, as consistently as possible and create a body of work that can be accessed um, over time. And I think, uh, you know, I, you know, there's a couple of different pieces of material that I read each year that I do every year, like The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. And I, I get different things from it every year. Like, I'm like, that wasn't even in there last time I read it, but it's the same book. Like, what? You know? Um, so I think that there are many messengers. I think people need to hear it many different ways. And I think people are very scared of their potential and scared of their gifts. And so they need to hear things two, three, four thousand times before it really sinks in. And if I went super metaphysical, you know, and you talk about, you know, past lives and future lives, there's some people who say that, you know, a soul can work on the lesson of jealousy or anger for multiple lifetimes. So I'm not really attached to people getting everything in this lifetime perfectly. I just want to leave a body of work that can be accessed moving forward in a way that is uh, relatable, accessible, and simple. Which you've, which you've actually, which you've absolutely done. So the reason I asked it that way was you, you also write that we're, in a world, arguably, I'm quoting you, arguably teetering on the brink of disaster. And so I was wondering if, because I agree with that, I was wondering if the sort of the existential crisis that we're in makes us face reality more honestly than we have in the past and, and maybe makes people more ready to listen now than at another epoch when it wasn't this Yes. Uh, frightening. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, 
a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. I think that is 100% true. And I also think because of the internet, we are so interconnected now. You know, your book, my book, probably would have been in the occult section in the 60s and 70s. Um, you know, now because of, you know, publishing companies like Sounds True, Hay House, my publisher, um, Louise Hay, the, like the work of these people, like it's become sort of just, it's like next to the cooking section. It's just, it's normal and natural. And there's no, there's less and less stigma around recovery work and therapy work. Um, I do think that, the state of the world um, is extremely um, uh, – the perception – excuse me, the perception of the state of the world is extremely hostile, but the news media tends to cover the stuff that's uh, really fear-based and and, and, and make it really big, and people sort of get addicted to that. Um, But yes, I do think people are hungry. I think, as Carolyn May says, the sky gods are colliding in a new mythology, a new belief system – uh, has to come out of that. Joseph Campbell also said that the next phase, the next big mythology that has to happen on the planet, uh, is this idea of oneness rather than separateness. Because, you know, we're 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 tribes who figure out that you know we bumped up against each other, and now where there's no borders because of the internet. So I do think people are very hungry and they're searching, and the information is easily found. Um, and I also believe when you look back over history. Hard things happen, but there's always a shift um, and there's always a a level of grace um, towards progress, towards love, and towards um, the good guy winning. I know that there's a lot of fear out there right now, but, you know, if you look at the history over time, progress um, and the the right side has has won over time. And my hunch is in the next, you know, decade or so, we're going to have such a rapid technological evolution, it's going to make a lot of our problems sort of irrelevant. That would be nice. I think a decade's a little quick. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Look at the work of Ray Kurzweil. You know, technology. Yeah, well, the singularity is coming in 2050. <laughs> that's right. So that's right. We're all going to be, uh, you know, like data on Star Trek. So that's you know, right. Cyborgs. So I, I guess I, the only thing that, that I just want to take issue with one thing, and and that is if my books were actually in the occult section, I'd sell a lot more books. <laughs> so that wouldn't be bad fair than fair in enough. the. Uh, the religion section. So <laughs> I would look forward to that. So, uh, you know, the, this notion, I mean, first of all, you mix, you, you, your reading and your references really mix two very different worlds. And I find that really interesting. I mean, you're mixing Joseph Campbell um, along with, you know, Louise Hay and, and Carolyn Mace and, and seeing this as some kind of commonality which not everyone sees when, when they're looking at these kinds of things. But I, I'm attracted to this idea that you're proposing that we are on the verge, if not in 10 years, but sooner rather than later, of a new story, of a new mythology, if you want. And, and Carolyn's notion of the sky gods colliding. I mean, it's not just the sky gods, because it happens in, in Buddhism also, where there's all kinds of... of uh, you know, violence going on in certain parts of the Buddhist world. Oh, sure. But, but certainly the sky gods uh, of, of the Abrahamic traditions are really battling it out. And I think they're battling it out between one another, but I think they're also on life support with many of their believers. 
And that's where we get this emergence of people like Joseph Campbell and Eckhart Tolle, who are, I mean, Eckhart Tolle is sort of outside the system, but Joseph Campbell works within it and shows you that these stories are powerful and still meaningful if you could take them as story, myth, and not take them as history and fact. That's right. That's right. And I mean, I think that that's, you know, you, you, that's why the story is the same. And Campbell discovered, you know, his 12-step hero's journey because there's a pattern within us that is universal, that's sort of like pre-installed, you could almost say. And the problem is, you know, we've just, you know, there's many different words for the sun and there's many different words for God. And when we think that the word matters more than the essence, that's when we get off track. Right. I mean, that's the, the Rig Veda, which is perhaps the oldest written religious spiritual text that humanity has says truth is one different people call it by different names that's right and, and we get hung up on the, and we and we kill each other because when we're willing to kill for the name and die for the name uh when in fact at least in my estimation i mean no name really captures the essence that's why i always blend the rig veda with the opening line of the Tao de jing where lao tzu says the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. So none of these gods is it. At their best, religions point beyond themselves to something that's ineffable, yes. but experienceable. And I think that something is what you're calling love. Is that, or, or maybe yeah. grace? I don't know. I think, I think it's the, the same thing. I think, I think grace is the, probably the, one of the greatest acts of love that comes from our creator. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, Jesus is bigger than the Christian religion, you know, um, right. Muhammad is bigger than the Islamic religion. Moses is bigger than the Judaic tradition. Um, their message is universal and time-tested, and they're all saying the exact same thing in different ways. Um, and to me, it's sort of crazy that we, it's not so, it's not self-evident. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, well, uh, that is, that is, well, uh, how about this? It is self-evident, except we're not allowed to look. You know what I mean? It's like, if you look, and it sounds like this is really what you've done with your life. You see, oh no, this is self-evident. I see it. There's what you call the higher power beyond all of these names. Yes. And but I think that the systems of religion try to keep you from looking. Yeah, they I just mean, want you to take the surface and run with it. Amen. You know, I think uh, I was really surprised to research and find out about. If you want to go back, you know, the councils of Nicaea with Constantine, and essentially the Roman government voted. The imagine Congress today voting on what goes in the Bible and what it says. You know, yeah. um, they voted to what goes in and what goes out because Jesus was such a confrontational figure. Um, and they aligned the Judaic tradition, the the pagan tradition, and the Christian tradition. That's why all the holidays are at the same time, um, and the solstice and all that stuff is all this, you know, whatever. All those around the same time. There's a, a, a unity there uh, to make everybody happy. Um, and you know, twelve apostles, four gospels. Very strange. So. Um, you know, the the numbers don't add up. But uh, and you know, it's it's been true for ever that religion has been used by those in power to keep those who are not in disempowered. And I think because of the internet and what's happening today, uh, you know, and, and this is being seen with like the Black Lives Matter movement. This is being seen um, on both sides of the election right now. Like there's a, a real deep desire for empowerment and the way in which it's being expressed may not be the healthiest way, but, um, you know, it's, it's it, the first step uh, from powerlessness is anger. And so I think that's what we're seeing right now. Mm. So we've only got a couple minutes left. Yes. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm loving not... this so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm having a great time myself. 
But the clock is the clock, and we actually have two minutes left. So in two minutes or less, because we have to sort of get ourselves off the air gracefully, uh, I'm intrigued by your definition of spiritual. So let me just read it to you so we don't have to guess what I'm talking about. You say being spiritual means unconditionally accepting what is while expressing the gift that God gave each of us in the world. Can you just elaborate a little bit about this unconditional acceptance and the gift and giving the gift? Um, yes. So if I could summarize it in a, in as briefly as possible, um, my deep belief is uh, that this life is preordained and every, all the hardship and trauma we go through um, is an opportunity to learn and grow. And when we can stop resisting it and we can accept it, uh, we have the power to move beyond it. And then we have the power to look within and say, who am I? What gifts have I been given? How can I connect to my creator? And how can I be an example of light? You know, purpose and trauma are very equally interconnected. Um, and I think the most important thing is not wearing uh, Lululemon or drinking green juice or eating quinoa or you know, having your mala beads or being on your yoga mat, I think the most important thing is really how loving your actions are and most, even beyond that, how pure your intentions are. And so when you really can be in non-resistance to life and then focus on what you can generate, game, game over. That, that's, if you can get that, you got it. <laughs> Perfect place to bring it to a close. That was, that was a great summary. My guest today was Mastin Kip. He's the author of the, uh, yes, I'm sorry, we're going to have to, I guess, tied my tongue up. Let me try that again. My guest today was Mastin Kip. He's the author of Daily Love, Growing into Grace. A print interview with Mastin can be found on the Spirituality and Health website, spiritualityhealth.com. Mastin, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to meeting you one day and having a longer one. <laughs> that, that would be great. Support for this show comes from Inner Engineering, a program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yogic sciences. Visit www.innerengineering.com to learn more. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.